can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that's been hitting the head so many times. It eats bandanas and wears bananas, folks. <laughs> bandanas and bananas. <laughs> oh, episode forty-three, recorded August eighteenth, twenty thirteen, starts now. Coming at you. That's right. Bandanas and bananas. That's right. Like a monkey on a delete button. I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, uh, monkey on a delete button. I mm. did it for you. Yeah, you segued right into that for me, didn't you? Nice. All right, folks. Uh, yeah, I guess I better just go ahead and tell everybody now. There's another lost episode of High Out Podcast. <laughs> the Lost Classics. <laughs> Luckily, this time we weren't doing an interview and just forgot to hit play uh, or record uh, when the interview started. That sucked. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't made that mistake again. <laughs> we got to make all the mistakes before we learn from them, then. And uh, kudos to Michael DeMarco for... Uh, yeah. Doing the whole thing over again with us. Uh, nice by the way, uh, he just put a thing out on Facebook recently. All the stuff over there uh, is on sale right now. You can, like uh, Marshall Musings, Robert Smith's last book, I think they've got for Sweet. nine bucks, ten bucks, something like that. So if you guys are interested in that, look them up right now because. Yeah, muse you know, on over cheap. there. Yeah, but no, what I did. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do, Dave? See, uh, uh, Craig was out last week, uh, had him a little birthday. Indeed. Yeah. And you can tell us all about that in just a second. <laughs> but I re- we had episode 42 in the can, a discussion topic on the term master. And, uh, hey, master. Yeah. And, I, you know, it went pretty well. But uh, uh, Aaron and Alan Pittman were in town. And That's I'm right. like, let's just throw them in front of the microphones and see what we get. But I put it in as a bonus episode on the recorder because mm. I didn't know how much content I'd get, you know. Right. Well, it turned out I had enough for a whole episode, so I went ahead and put that puppy out as episode 42. So when it came time to set up for this week's recording, I went in, just like I always do, because I always save the previous episode of the hard drive at, right when I'm dumping it to the computer to mix down. Mm-hmm. So I saw episode 42. Yep, that's the one that just went out. Click, delete. What's this next one? Episode B3. What is Oh, no. <laughs> let me tell you, folks, on this recorder, there ain't no such thing as Command Z. Once you delete it, it is deleted, baby. Hey. It is gone, daddy, gone. Delicious. Yeah. So uh, chalk that up to another lesson learned. There you go. And uh, luckily, we can, it's, it's not an interview. So we can, we can hit that discussion topic again at some point in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know who the master is anyway, man. Show sure enough, do. All right, then. Oh, yeah, we had all that good show enough stuff yes, in there. Yes, we did. Dang it. That's well, all good. Yeah. We'll we can do that one more good. Yeah, we'll do that some week when we are kind of brain dead and want to do something we've already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, so tell us how your birthday went, Craig. It went great. I got another year older, and uh, that's about it. Debt. Yeah. <laughs> Load 16 tons, and what do you get? Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, you know, as you know, I worked out with you guys uh, early morning, and uh, with Alan Pittman and Aaron, everybody doing the bagua and the shingy and all that. And yeah, that was Getting my time. skin all pinched and grabbed and mm-hmm. <laughs> Nipples bruised twisted up. And- yep. 
That was just a bonus because it was your birthday. It was. It was nice. It was nice. <laughs> twisty, twisty. That's Tune into Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. But, uh, watched some watched some programs with the the family, you know, and uh, went out for uh, Korean barbecue grill and buffet, which was really nice. It's a little bit pricey, but I love them some, man. You can just keep on eating man you know grill at the table all that good stuff yeah, and yeah. soups and sushi and chinese junk and hot little waitresses and all this it was good times you need to speak up craig oh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah 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 it was pretty good and then uh to be honest with you i had a, I had a nice interesting birthday gift somewhat uh later in the week after i was teaching my class and uh, we hung out at uh, this local bar in town, and uh, right in Decatur, you know, where mm-hmm. I usually teach. And uh, one of my students and buddies, he points out one guy, one of the servers, he's like, oh my gosh, that's so-and-so. So we call this guy over here, and I'm slow to pick up the ball, and I finally realize it's the son of uh, local legend, uh, Michael Dillard. Who uh-huh. was, yeah. Who has kind of been off the scene for a while now. For quite a while, like 10, 15 years, I think, maybe. But, uh, yeah, he was my first Tongar teacher and exposed me to a lot of different stuff. And he's kind of someone important in my life. So he'd been uh, saying he was going to be making a reappearance and so on and so forth. But we Don't got call the inside it a comeback. Scoop. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I kind of wonder what transitional tune is going to happen there. Mm, oh, yeah. That's good thinking. Hey, thank you. How about you? What's going on with you? Oh, you know, just lots of company in and out of the house. We had a sleepover for Olin, his first sleepover with a couple of friends last night. I am dog tired today, I'll tell you what. (laughs) You do look it. All the other kids did really well. Olin, like, cratered two or three times and had to get timeouts. (laughs) Hey, it's my party and I'll quiet if I want to. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, and more people coming into town next week. It's just chaos around here. But the shows will keep coming, folks. Don't worry about that. Oh, that's the crits. Yeah, the Kretz is coming. On on the Monday, yeah. And then you got somebody the on the Tuesday. Yeah. Yep. And then my wow. mom and my aunt are coming down and Cut it out, man. We're gonna have an extra dog in the house. It's gonna wow. be lots of fun. Wow. Yeah, but uh we won't let it get in the way of all this good stuff. No, uh, no. The other thing that I want to mention right here up front, we gotta move this along because yeah, we, we got do. an interview coming up soon. And let me tell you what's on the show today. Yeah, do that. We got John Rennie, who I met out at TAM. Uh he's a science writer. He was editor of Scientific American uh for about fifteen years and uh really cool cat and he is also a black belt in karate. Ooh. So uh, we're gonna talk some karate and probably some science with him. So get your thinking caps on out there, how y'all meatheads. Excellent, excellent. Hey, and by the way, uh, just wanted to let everybody know, uh, check out the website, you know, uh, highapodcast.com. We are finally back in the swing of things. All the show notes are up to date. All the music listings on every single episode up to date. If you're a member of Spotify or you're not become one, uh, you can listen to the entire playlist of every episode. Uh, there's a little button on there, clickety-clack. So thank you very much uh, to Tamron and Ryan yeah. for your outstanding help on getting us caught up. And Tamron's someone that we know here locally. He's a student of both of ours. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan's just uh, a listener that came out of the blue and offered to help out. And you know, we'll give you his full name, but I have to get his permission to do that first. So Indeed. I'll be sending out an email tonight. It's funny, we <laughs> had him do all this work for him and us and never bothered to ask, hey, can we use your whole name on the podcast? Yeah. But uh, 
super cool guy, and we we so much appreciate the help. We got our Definitely. legs back over this puppy, and we're going to ride it off into the sunset now. Yes, uh, indeed. So, yeah, that's great. Oh, also in the show, before we wrap this up, we've got uh, a new segment. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you may have to make it up on the spot. I know. And also, at the end of the show, I'm going to throw in another Martial Mind. Uh, the one I put on last week's show actually seemed to fit really well with the content we did. Sweet. It was just sort of by by chance, so hopefully it'll Hi. work like that again. I'm Je- <laughs> yeah, Jeff Westfall. <laughs> uh, and he's done a lot of work on that. I, t- I turned him on to Levelator and a couple of other little podcaster cool. tricks, so he's got his sound quality amped up a little bit and re-recorded nice. a couple of them. And uh, I hope you guys are sending him feedback on that or send us feedback on that. You like him? You don't like him? Let us know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but you know I like him. If you're not sticking around for the end of the shows to check those out, you better do it. That's if right. If you didn't stick around at the end of the show last time, you also missed Gordon Liu's bench fight. Oh, man. See, we, we are going to be paddling some listeners. Y'all listen yeah. to the end of it, would you? <laughs> Oh, I, I always try to throw something in there. Yes, you do. All right, knock it off, Craig. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, I guess that about covers everything we need to go over here. Let's go ahead and slip out to the Champagne Lounge and uh, try on the ruby slippers, and uh, we'll be right back with John Rennie. Sounds good. All right. Okay, folks, we're back in the studio, the virtual studio with us tonight. We have John Rennie. Hey. Say hi to everybody, John. Hello, Dave. Hello, everybody. <laughs> this is Craig, my co-host, as the other voice you'll be hearing, by the way. Hi, John. Why, Craig, I didn't see you there. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you. a ninja. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you folks, uh, John here is, uh, he's got a bachelor of science degree from Yale in biology. He was the editor of scientific American from 1994 to 2009. He teaches science writing at uh, NYU. He's won the Sagan award for the public understanding of science. He's on TV on the discovery channel, uh, and, uh, the weather channel with, uh, hacking the planet. And he's also a karate black belt. And last but not least, this man can break Wooden boards with his bare hands, folks. That's right. I've seen him do it with my own two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a great accomplishment, but I, 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 I'll take it for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was actually a pretty cool demonstration you did of that stuff at TAM. So we want to talk about that in a minute. But of course, uh, you know, this is a podcast uh, centered around martial arts. So mm-hmm. I think the first thing we want to get into is your martial arts background. Um, why don't you start out just by telling us, you know, what got you into martial arts, how you got started, and how you wound up where you are with the Black Belt and Karate. Body. Oh, well, sure, of course. Um, I mean, I think, you know, like like most of us, certainly of a certain age, we kind of just grew up with a lot of exposure to uh, seeing, you know, the martial arts and TV and film all the time. Um, you know, it's 
sort of the emergence of a lot of that sort of thing in the 60s and the 70s. Um, I'm, I'm old enough to re- actually remember when uh, the Green Hornet TV show uh, was actually on the air. I remember oh, yeah. watching that. So, uh, you know, that kind of exposure to, <laughs> to Bruce Lee at that point. And then the, the rise of, you know, the, the surge of, of interest in a lot of Asian martial arts that started happening, you know, there shortly thereafter because of Bruce Lee's movies and, of course, um, you know, the Kung Fu TV show and all those things. But, you know, I was absolutely one of the, you know, the vast numbers of people who was interested in martial arts could never actually get himself off to a dojo and do anything about it for a really <laughs> long time. And by a really long time, in this case, it actually wasn't until, uh, well, 20 years ago. So I was, you know, I think 33, 34 years old when I, when I started studying um, and it was just because uh, I, I just the, the uh, everything just sort of dropped into place at, uh, at, at right time and right place. I happened to um, be really needing, wanting some sort of extra activity to uh, take up. I needed the exercise. I had an opportunity to be able to start uh, studying in those days. It was a uh, 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 Sedo Juku uh, uh, Karate Do, um, you know, it's another sort of traditional Japanese style that's um, uh, an offshoot of Kyokushin, and okay. I started. Started studying uh, that, and um, and I've really you know been with that same teacher now for uh, about twenty years. Um, we are now part of a separate organization because of the you know the wonderful world of karate politics well, being what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine that's come up once or twice. Um, it may so, have. Uh, yeah. So I'm uh, now part of a of a different style uh, called a uh, uh, Kenshi Kai Kan, um, and it's you know based here in New York City. And, um, you know, it's great. I mean, I'm fourth degree black belt. As I said, I've been doing this for, for 20 years now. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I am happy to be one of those people who can sort of attest to the, uh, the wondrous powers of what martial arts can do to help you get a, a better centered life in all sorts of ways that have uh, nothing at all to do with, uh, you know, punching and kicking your way out of trouble. Right. Um, you know, well, like... It's oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, no, that's all right. I mean, I, I'm. Please, can I take any questions from the back of the room? <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy. Well, it, it seems like you know, with all, with all of your uh, interest in and work with science, uh, you know, some of that stuff can be pretty heady pursuits. To, you know, does something like karate, uh, just the physical activity involved and the contact with other human beings, does it? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about when you're talking about helping balance your life out? It, it absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, I will. I will say that, that there's no question that one of the the big strengths of what you know karate has been for me is that by virtue of being part of this dojo and you know the group of people that I started uh, you know studying with 20 years ago. I mean, a lot of them are still there. We all still hang out together. We're really good friends. That social part of it was a very big uh, part of of what I've gotten out of it, and in many ways, part of what you know helps to. Uh, reinforce things and help you know help me stay loyal to to working within the system. I mean, I I, I think you know anybody who's studied in uh, any any particular dojo, any particular style for a really long time, you or even not such a long time, you know, you see people come, you see people go, and I think what's fascinating is that the people who stay and go are not necessarily the ones that you might have pegged to do that early on. Um, oh, there yeah. are. Yeah, there are people that I started, you know, training with. And I thought, well, you know, these guys are nice, but I don't, you know, imagine that they will be doing this for a really long time. Um, and they're still doing it. There are people who were complete diehards, but 
things in their lives change, you know, physical things or their jobs change or they get married and they have kids and they have, you know, different priorities and they can't keep mm-hmm. up the same kind of uh, training. So, yeah, that's definitely a, a big part of it. And it just absolutely gets me out of myself when I'm, you know, you, the, uh, all, all, all the usual truisms apply of that when you're, when you're fighting, you have no time to be thinking about other things. That's right. The no mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, another thing I've noticed in martial arts classes, you know, you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, how uh, sometimes people will come and go unexpectedly. And yes, life gets in the way. That's one big thing. But another thing I've noticed is a lot of times the people that show up for those first few classes and seem kind of physically inept and no good at, 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 at moving and that sort of thing, they're the ones that will put their heads down and just persist year after year yeah. until they finally get really good. Oh. And the people that come in and kind of have a natural physicality about them often get bored with the basics really quick and just, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, <laughs> I can do this. And they're out of there and they never really learn anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good observation. It's true that a lot – and I, I would actually put myself into that former category too. I mean, I, you know, they say I started doing this when I was 33, never having been involved in any kind of ongoing organized sports thing prior to that my whole life. Um, I mean, I was in – I suppose decent shape given that preamble, but right. uh, you know nothing, nothing extraordinary. Um, and the, you know the really the, the the guy that I always think of for this, there was a, a guy that I who started the same time that I did, named Sonny. Um, he was fifty five years old when he uh, started training this, and he was. Similarly, he'd never done anything athletic in his whole life. He was overweight. I'm, I'm uh, not really exaggerating when I say that he had roughly all the flexibility of, of, an, of an ironing board. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was – and, and I, by the way, I say this because he's heard me say this about him – you know, uh, to his face and behind his back, I think he would he would completely bless my saying this. That you know, he was somebody who who when he started out, uh, you know, he he could not touch his toes. He could not get his fingertips down past his knees. Wow. Um, and yet, um, so he was a 55-year-old man, but he threw himself into this, and he just kept at it. And he would, you know, he would train, and he would show, he had better attendance than anybody. He was there for every single class, even though he lived well outside New York City. He always showed up for class. He would always train. He would go off and do, you know, work out on his own. He would take yoga classes and things on the outside to help improve his flexibility. And, you know, it, it's not as though he suddenly, you know, turns into Chuck Norris over the course of this, but the steady, amazing improvement that he made over time. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal. You know, he was like trying to work on his kicks and he would work on these, you know, all the time. And I was telling him, someday you're going to kick me in the head. And he was, and, and, you know, it was thrilling the day that he actually threw a crescent kick and came up and parked it right on my shoulder. Um, and it was sort of like, I, I'm not sure which one of us was more stunned that that actually happened, but that was like, that was a, he was thrilled. So, uh, yeah, the, what you can accomplish by just sticking with this and having the kind of humility, though, that comes from just realizing that you do, you, you are new at this, you are not particularly good at this, but you want to get as much out of it as possible, it makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It brings up the sunny side of karate right there. 
Yeah. <laughs> and <That's> right. <laughs> Craig, for instance, has beautiful Shaolin, but he still can't catch a damn Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> True indeed. Well, and I can't throw a Frisbee, so really. <laughs> I'm going to put you two guys together one day, then we'll have a little Frisbee game. <laughs> that should be hilarious. What, what, is the, what is the opposite of ultimate Frisbee? <laughs> Us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, why don't why don't you tell us uh, in a little bit more detail what your your specific system of karate, whatever name it's going under now? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are the the fundamental tenets, the 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 basic methods of training? You know, what what uh, what is your style like? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's you know definitely I would say that ours is it it generally styles itself as being a you know traditional Japanese style in that, for example, you know everything that the class is really is conducted. Um, you know, primarily in Japanese, so we all, you know, we learn all of the the essential uh, Japanese vocabulary for being able to to do things. A lot of the the stretches, a lot of the exercises are what I would gather, you know, sort of ones that have at least been handed down through a couple of the different systems at at this point. Um, that said, I mean, I do think, as is you know, it's sort of almost inevitably the case in any kind of of, uh, of you know modern martial arts system. There are definitely some sorts of changes. I mean, so I think definitely there's an awareness of a little bit of of what's been learned along the way about sort of human physiology instead of the the limits of of some of that. So trying to improve some of the the ways that the people stretch, I think that that makes a lot of sense. A lot of the basic kinds of you know calisthenics workout stuff you know we have uh, you know various classes that that will be focused on you know these the, the standard sorts of punches kicks drills lots of repetition of those lots of the standard uh, you know things for for building stamina and so forth lots of lots of push-ups lots of you know crunches um and then um you know, kata, of course, also is a big, another big, you know, traditional part of of what we're we're doing. So, very, I think, standard traditional approaches to that of just uh, uh, learning the, the the various the various uh, uh, katas for you know every every uh, belt uh, along the way, and uh, then also the fighting. I mean, for our fighting, we you know in our, in our case, we are uh, gearing up. We're generally wearing like full boxing gloves. Um, it's generally, sort of like. 10, 10 pound, 12 ounce, or 10 ounce, 10 pound, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. That's an extraordinary part of the practice practice right there. Uh, <laughs> you know, 10 ounce, uh, 12 ounce gloves usually, um, sort of wraps, headgear, you know, it's sort of people usually trying to, um, at least certainly for, for um, most people, more junior levels of trying to make sure that you, you want to get people used to the idea of being able to throw all out so that they can, that they're throwing uh, techniques as hard as they can while at the same time they're also trying to, you know, mitigate against the possibilities of, of injury as much as possible. Um, Controlling power, right. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of a lot of that work of that sort of thing. You know, lots of just uh, drills and drills in pairs, and uh, you know, again, the fighting is a a big a big part of it. I think um, as I you know, I think unlike sort of a lot of the traditional uh, Kyokushin type training where people would uh, show up, you know, first day and the white belts would all fight the black belts, and uh, and it, which was a great thing with with Kyokushin of you know, traditionally, which was that it it tended to weed out a lot of people. So by the time you <laughs> Got to, if you got your black belt in Kyokushin, you were something special. <laughs> but uh, right. uh, 
in order to have been able to just survive a lot of that. Um, you know, I think there's there's for, with uh, for us in uh, Kenshikai, there's more of a of an emphasis on trying to ease people into it a little bit more. So obviously, people are you know not everybody is ready to start off fighting. Um, at the same level, but people, you know, it, it does start to become an important part of the training for what people are doing at, at uh, certainly at, at some point. Um, you know, generally fighting, every, everybody fights everybody. Um, everybody certainly, you know, men and women are fighting. There's no um, lines with respect to uh, weight class. Um, yeah, it's, but everybody's obviously showing a lot of, uh, you know, good control for all of that. Oh, and it's very, it's very much an emphasis on, I should say also, on kind of a real stand-up fighting. I will say that I think that that's something that I've been trying to learn more of because it sort of falls outside of most of our standards or curriculum is a lot of, of you know, more sort of uh, grappling techniques, which, uh, you know, are, do not figure as much into some of the, the kind of, of uh, more traditional stand-up karate do styles um but uh you know but it's but you know you're you're it's always a good idea to to bone up on a lot of things and learn what you can get outside of uh you know your own usual system that way right well even if it's not something your system focuses on or you like very much you know there's so many people training grappling now that if you do wind up crossing someone on the street uh there's a good chance you're going to be grappled with so you need to at least know what's coming (laughs) well that's that's exactly right i mean and really that's i mean i think it's 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 really been fascinating watching the rise of uh you know mixed martial arts uh these days that that is um that is so true and that it has gone so far to you know kind of obliterate a lot of traditional styles that really try to you know for better or worse try to to keep to doing certain things in an old way um mixed martial arts is you know very much more what a lot of people come in off the street looking to know more about doing and it's what they see you know on television and uh, you know it's understandable that's what that's what they want to learn yeah it's a bruce lee today yeah yeah, and they get a lot. I mean, let's you know, kid ourselves. I mean, that's that's a you know, it's, it's fantastic training for for all of that. It's very good, well-rounded stuff, and and it is informed by a lot of the, uh, you know, the modern science of what we learned about good ways of being able to build up bodies and good ways to train. Which you know, frankly, a lot of of traditional styles, they they will stick with old ways of doing things, whether or not they uh, they're they, optimal. They, yeah. yeah. Whether they objectively work well or not. <laughs> True, indeed. I, I find myself often. I, I teach a traditional Chinese style, and mm-hmm. you know, frequently I find myself saying to my students, you know, I got to teach it to you, teach this to you in this way because of tradition, basically. However, yep. here's now my real life input. You know. Yes. Um, let me ask you this. I you mentioned you were a something or another degree of the black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and not being uh, familiar, you know, really oh, with yeah. that. Um, I'm curious, within each degree of that, mm-hmm. of that black belt, um, are you learning new material? Is it a certain number of fights or principles? Or what do the degrees really uh, mean when it comes to content of learning? Yeah, I mean that that is definitely that is a great question, um, and uh, I think as, as you know, you guys and most of your audience know, there's there are no great universal standards for that across 
all sorts of different styles right. many means i mean if, you yeah. know there's, there's, it can go from everything where you have to do you know in some cases extraordinary uh, amounts of training and scholarship to graduate from one to another and some other ones where it's you know <laughs> you you punch in your time and pay the fee and get the belt and look a black belt punch comes right out of the machine um, <laughs> I, um, I, I think you know i would i would like to think that we sort of you know fall somewhere in the the middle of all of that it is it is obviously it is there is the level of a lot of additional you know time and and work that's going on you you know at every point you're you're trying to have to deal certainly with a lot of additional material of uh and it can be of of a number of different different forms it can be there are the additional uh, additional katas that are specific to that form but also there are some, you know some other kinds of principles you're also doing other kinds of things of you know of teaching and you're involved more with the system about ah. trying to do a lot of things so you know i think there is more of a system that way of of trying to put more into it and you know, a lot of those things, you know, at a certain level, sometimes those are things that just involve a lot of more of like, well, you're working with people more, but you're working <laughs> with people more in the context of also trying to understand, you know, uh, what you can take of the, the kinds of martial arts principles out of that and, uh, and applying those things. Um, and so, it, you know, it does, it does really become relevant that way, too. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. It almost sounds like taking, uh, you know, the, the art of war into the business meeting room type thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as part of the part of the the black belt promotion for all of this, you know, one uh, one component of that is always you have to be able to to stand up and really basically justify of what what you know your karate means to you and what you've been doing with that and how you've been uh, trying to apply it in your in your everyday life. Um, you know, in the interest of trying to do that, and certainly you don't get sent up for promotion, certainly at these more senior levels, uh, unless you've basically won, you know, won over that, that level of respect in the eyes of, you know, your instructors and a lot of other people, too, who are all going to look at it. And, of course, you know, there's always just the, the simple fighting component of things, where the, the more senior and experienced you are with these things, the tougher the fighting is going to get. <laughs> and uh, there are people there who are... <laughs> Certainly prepared to try to give you that much more of a humbling experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, I'm I'm curious because your style is relatively new to me. I haven't heard mm-hmm. uh, heard of this style before. Sure. Um, but at what level do you guys uh, really delve into the Judy chop? Um, I mean, I have to admit, I, I, I don't. I'm not acquainted so much with, with with what you mean by by that. I'm sorry. He's being. <laughs> he, he was making a little joke there at your expense. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> well, <laughs> you remember a- Andy Griffith and Mayberry Judy Chop. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, see, see, at what I'm level so, of black belt? I'm so glad I didn't try to go for the stupid bluff right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. Judy Chop starts to figure very prominently and basically right around. Around at the fifth cube, we believe it's important that people get well grounded in that That's before right. they start to proceed onto more senior levels. Yeah, you, you get an extra bullet for your shirt pocket for every degree of, of belt you go up. That's right. <laughs> we do. Uh, we do have a retreats up in Mount Pilot every year. I don't know if I mentioned that. Excellent. Excellent. No, that sounds really good. And you know, one of the other things you mentioned while you were going through your description there was uh, that you do a lot of your class in in Japanese, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, I've I've trained in Japanese, Korean, and Chinese martial arts, and while I don't speak 
any of those languages, right, I can right. at least count to ten. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I like I like the fact that in Japanese, well, I, I know one way to count to ten, which is useless for a large number of the things that you would actually be using in Japan that you would need basic numbers for. <laughs> yeah, the, the the ordinals and the cardinal yeah, numbers and right. yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, have have you dabbled in any other martial arts, or has this basically been your your you know your your love and your focus the whole time? I mean, there's no question. This has really been my my whole big focus. Thereafter, we do definitely get into the area of um, you know dabbling uh, and in the, the lightest of watercolored pastel sorts of dabbling about these things. I like to read a lot about these sorts of things because it's a lot of fun. I like to go to different demonstrations and things. But honestly, just because of sort of the the kind of the commitment and and uh, loyalties I have to a lot of you know with the current system, it, it literally gets in the way of my being able to sometimes uh, study as many of some other things as as much as I might like to in, sure. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I you know I definitely I try. To uh, you know, read up some try to you know to get as I say sort of uh, you know a little more understanding about things that are going on um, in you know different sorts of, of grappling arts and jujitsu and that sort of thing. Um, I uh, actually there was something that I was I was hoping I was going to get to do today. It was another sort of seminar of something that. Um, I don't know if you're acquainted with a style called Bartitsu. Oh, no. Well, let me stop you right <laughs> oh, there. Yes. That's our favorite martial art on this podcast. Bartits and you. Because it has Bartits and you in the name <laughs> right there. So we're on board with that. But uh, yeah, tell, tell oh us about God. this. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, 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 at this point, I wouldn't know enough about it overall to, you know, to really, really to pretend to be representing a lot of it. Um, you know, Bartitsu as you and again your listeners may know it's uh it's it's and uh, you know it, it was a style that was developed in the late 19th century i think um by um a fellow by the name of let's see edward william barton wright who uh, had studied a lot of i think Japanese or other uh, martial arts came back to Europe and sort of decided to combine some of what he'd taken out of jujitsu with some uh, savat and vini uh, cane fighting and uh, and sort of traditional Western boxing. And he put together this style of what he called bartitsu, which he said was was a good for uh, gentlemen who might find themselves in difficulties in you know, sort of. Uh, Streets, so it was. It was intended as kind of a, you know, uh, a, a mixed martial art of its time, and it was supposed to be one that was very practical in in that sense. Um, I, I think it, it had a, a, as I understand it, kind of like a real spike of popularity. Thus, sort of right around the the turn into the twentieth century, it faded very rapidly after that. Um, one of its real. Uh, claims to fame is that it uh, actually uh, Arthur Conan Doyle uh, mentions that uh, Sherlock Holmes in one story that he's uh, is actually he's a, is a, a master of uh, Bartitsu. Yeah. I think he misspelled it as like um, Barisu or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's a, you know, there's, there's a, here in New York, there's a, a, a club that, uh, that organizes and they, they train on some of this periodically, and I, they were going to have a uh, seminar about this that I was hoping to get to, and I wasn't able to today, but uh, just would like to, you know, I think it would just be fun uh, to, to see more. Absolutely, more about and, and yeah. you know, we, we have a little bit of fun with the name, but this is actually, you know, it's a modern eclectic style that's just as valid as anything else, and it, it, right. it, it sort of points out one of those interesting things, you know, people say, well, 
Taekwondo is a traditional martial art, but they would think Bartitsu, that's not a traditional martial art. Bartitsu's older. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, modern Taekwondo wasn't really uh, codified until post-World War II. So, you know. Right. So as with, you know, right. As as with so many of these, you know, ancient martial arts, they have remarkably modern roots. Uh, (laughs) I mean, 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 really, almost any of them, I mean, what's the oldest that really any of them has can can make a claim to sort of having been cleanly, uh, clearly codified? I mean, it's, they're all kind of within the past century plus, right? Am I? Yeah, century or two. Yeah. And something like that. Century or two. Right. So it's, it's not a, you know, they, they, a lot of them may have some kinds of much deeper roots, but, but it's, it's not really quite true that you've got this unbroken train of teaching that stretches back somehow to. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you one thing that, that strikes me interesting with the bar actually is, um, you know, when you describe the amalgamation of the different uh, types of fighting styles that went into this, uh, is one Mm -hmm. thing is that you're talking about not only hand to hand combat, but you mentioned cane fighting. Um, and so that's that's really interesting to me because you have, uh, an interesting underlying idea of principles there because, you know, you've Mm -hmm. got weaponry, uh, you've got the hook of a cane, but then you also got joints of the body, you know, and I I love what I hear just in that description. Yeah, I mean, my my impression of this, and as I say, I'm you know hoping I'm going to get to go to some more seminars about this kind of thing and learn more. So maybe at some point I can report back more on this for you in the future. Um, yeah. But I think you know my impression is that it it does focus on what would be seen as you know some kinds of relatively practical uh, techniques. That said, you know, obviously this is coming through a filter of of kind of. I mean, I think it sort of deliberately got a kind of of retro steampunk Victorian era <laughs> styling yeah. to it. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's part of the fun for people in doing a lot of this. And, you know, like some of the practicality of this is like, well, it's practical fighting for a cane, assuming you're walking down the street with your cane. Um, you know, it can also <laughs> yeah. apply itself to something like an umbrella. But, I, you know, I think I, 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 from the little bit that I've spoken with some of them, I think that, you know, these the, the, the practitioners of this, you know, they're they're grounded in the modern realities of a lot of these things too. That said, I mean obviously, uh, you know, a a good effective low kick to somebody's knee is a good effective low kick to somebody's knee. Yeah, yeah However, no matter what style uh, tag right. is hung on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think it's good. Yeah, and even something like the cane, that's one of those weapons that I think, you know, we practice a cane form that came down from Chen Pan Ling. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it's one of those things that's making a little bit of a comeback because we live in an age now where, you know, you can't even go into an airport with a pair of nail clippers because they're afraid you're going to try right. to take over the plane. But a cane that's is right. a serious weapon, and you can walk in anywhere, right up into and including that airplane with it, you know? Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. I mean, if you and, uh, within that range of things that you sort of usually think of as the that, uh, that, that, that armory of traditional traditional martial arts weapon the the simple cane a, you know a joe a short stick like that yep. is is a very very practical very effective weapon and it is one that you can legitimately find yourself you know uh, there's a chance that you might actually have with you or that you might find something close to it in in circumstances in the modern world as opposed to you know fortunately i happen to have my sigh with me uh, right <laughs> my chain whip so, using it for a belt chain whip yeah yes that's right <laughs> thinking quickly well no i grab t- the tonfa off the wall yeah <laughs> 
You know, I, t- I tell people because I used to work with animals a lot. And, you know, when I take my son and we take a walk through the neighborhood down to the park, you will occasionally see a loose dog running around. I take a cane with me every time I go. Yeah. Not, not to yeah. beat the dog up, but to make sure if there is a problem, I don't want to have to deal with a three-year-old kid and an angry dog at the same time. And right. you can, you can, you know, you can stave off a dog with a decent stick. And you don't have to exactly. limp back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's, it's, it's uh, I think it's just a lot of fun. I mean, this is the great thing is with with in all sorts of the, the different, all the different sorts of styles of martial arts. There's so much you can learn from getting out of uh, of a lot of them, and it's and it's fun to just look at them with sort of different fresh eyes. The fresh and I, you know, coming and learning something, and coming in with eyes that maybe are you know your background coming out of a different style. But uh, I mean, I, you know, I obviously I I because of my, you know, science science writing background. I mean, I tend to look at all of these things. I'm always kind of interested just in a lot of the the scientific underpinnings about a lot of these things. So how exactly does this work or what, you know, how do those things come together and what are the kind of the, the more objective principles that start to work their way uh, through, uh, you know, lots of different of, of uh, martial arts because I, I think that, you know, it's 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 just fascinating to see what people do with the same basic component of it's a human body and you're putting it into some sort of aggressive or defensive postures and, and watch what happens. Yeah, well, that's a good segue, actually. We could talk a little bit about board breaking. You did a little demonstration of that and talked about some of the physics of that at TAM. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it might be good to sort of rehash that for this audience um, because that's that's a nice sort of clean relationship there between the physics because you don't have another body on the other end messing up all your equations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And it's, that is one of the trickiest things is, uh, you know, people, it's like, well, it's a little, it's a little harder to figure out sometimes exactly what aspects of the, of the physics apply to some uh, other aspects of the fighting. But, uh, but yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, breaking is just one of those things where it is, it is very straightforward. And, and, you know, by the way, I, I, I have got to say before I say anything about this, everything I'm saying about this now, I mean, I am not, presenting myself as anybody who's even particularly good at breaking. I'm not an expert on breaking. I am also, you know, I am not an expert in physics or anything else about this, but I just, you know, given sort of a little bit of the same kind of study of this than anybody else would. Yeah, but, well, you uh, could you have know. fooled us anyway, so just... Well, uh... <laughs> no, it's very, it's very, you're, very, you're very nice, thank you. But I mean, you know, the thing, I mean, obviously, so the thing about, about, about breaking demonstrations is that they are demonstrations. They are meant, they are things that people, you know, that martial artists do for the purpose of trying to make a point of, wow, doesn't this look impressive? Right. Um, and, there, and therefore, like any other kind of demonstration, there is an element of theatricality that starts to come down to it. So you are trying to make you know, something where the, the payoff is, in this case, you know, something breaking, is going to look as spectacular and nearly impossible as it possibly can, even though you are arranging a situation in which you are making it pretty sure that that is exactly what is going to happen unfailingly. There's really kind of nothing as embarrassing as trying to do a break and having it not break. Oh, uh, we saw we saw a horrible video last week in a show that we accidentally deleted. We talked about it. Yeah. it was, some poor guy was trying to do a breaking demonstration outdoor at a fair, and he, he had a guy holding the board, and he kicked it twice, three times. It didn't break. He took off his shoe, kicked it again. It finally broke, and a piece of the board flew into the crowd and hit a little, like, six- or seven-year-old girl. Oh, it was just one disaster after another. He was mashing people's fingers. It was, it was yeah. like everything that oh. could go wrong all in one but yeah, anyway it's, it's yeah and and so that and that really you know unfortunately that does i mean i, 
I mean, who knows exactly all exactly the reasons of what we're going on with that? But but in breaking, it depends on a lot of different things. Obviously, it depends on. You can discuss several different things about this. So we can start with just the issue of the the thing that you are breaking itself. Now, the standard easiest route team thing that people uh, break are are boards and these boards are typically they are they are pine boards um, typically they are cut to specifications of kind of like uh, one inch by uh, by 10 inches by 12 inches um, so basically usually you're getting you start off with like a you know line very long line of these one by 12 by 25 foot um, you know pieces of wood and then they cut 10 inch lengths out of that. The key with this, of why you're using pine and why you're using something that has sort of dimensions kind of like that, is because pine is a relatively soft wood, mm-hmm. and because the wood is, you know, wood is consists of lots of of cellulose fibers that are um, themselves very strong, but they are held together by a different other kind of, you know, more cement-like material that is a lot less strong than the cellulose fibers themselves. So when you break a board, you are breaking it along the grain of the wood because that's the natural place where it wants to break. That's the easy place for it to break. Um, so, you know, you, you therefore also, you're using dimensions of the wood. You know, you're, you're taking advantage of momentum. You, you, you want to be able to um, have a board that is long enough so that when you apply a decent amount of force in the middle of it, you've got a lot of leverage that's likely to help split that wood in the middle. You know, ideally, if you had a if you had an extremely long board that was you know sitting on two bricks at the other end, it as you can imagine, it would not take a whole lot of force to just press down in the middle of that and to snap it. Um, whereas if you had a very short board, um, you know, you could pretty much come at that with a hammer and it's not going to make any difference. You're not going to be able to break it. So, right. you know, the dimensions of this are also going to work, uh, work along with this. The other clear thing, I mean, when I was doing this, this kind of demonstration um, at, at uh, the, the amazing meeting that when, where, where we were, um, you know, I was, I was making it easy for myself and for other people by just, you know, putting the boards on some cinder blocks. The advantage is cinder blocks are perfectly solid and they're predictable and they don't move. Um, you can, and it is very typically the case that you will have people holding boards while you're trying to break them, um, but if they, you know, if they do not hold them firmly, um, and if they are not holding them very solidly when you are hitting them, well, then of course all the force you're delivering into the board is just dissipating out into their arms. Yeah, they're acting uh, like shock absorbers, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know, and so again, right? You know, if somebody is holding a board really badly, it almost doesn't matter how well they're, how gifted the martial artist is. The board is just going to move back with their arms, and it's going to, you know, fly out of their hands in some cases. Um, um, the uh, the you know the, the other part of it is is then just you know obviously the how you are how you are hitting the board itself and this is where you come down to you know the the power that's associated with uh, the stability of the different parts of the body the different kinds of weapons that you know that you have so you can hit people with the uh, you know you, you can uh, you know hit with your fist the uh, the the seiken four fist uh, edge um, you can you know use kind of like hammer fist you can use sort of knife hand shooto techniques you know you can break it any number of different ways um, for depending on the number of boards you have piled up on top of one another you can make that challenge more or less difficult um, and there's also the use of uh, spacers which can be sort of basically like little pencil like uh, 
blocks that can be set up between boards. So the boards don't always have to be sitting right on top of one another. They can be separated by a little bit of distance. And that little separation makes it much, much easier to slice through a bunch of boards. Um, it's, right. you know... You know, you because when they're sitting squarely on top of one another, there's a little more reinforcement. But um, you know, I mean, but you know, when you understand the physics of all of these things, suddenly a lot of things about it. It's not that the the uh, the breaking isn't impressive anymore. It's just you know, understand why it's not like a magical ability that people have. Um, it does also explain certain kind of interesting tricks that do also show up. So um, you know, sometimes there are people who will do demonstrations where they will have like several boards um, that may be uh, uh, boards or bricks or whatever things that may be, be set up um, and they they will hit the top of the pile and they will break the bottom brick right. or the bottom board or whatever. The key thing about that is, I mean, that can look kind I mean, they're there. That, yeah. You look at that and it's like, that's magic, man. Yeah, right? mystical transference possible? of energy. Yeah. Right. But remember, you're dealing with something that you're basically dealing with objects that are brittle. They are brittle, which means that when, you know, they deflect as they're bending, the place where they will start to break is the part that is opposite of the side where you're hitting because that's the part that's bending farthest. So if you hit, if you, if you could watch like a, a board, if you watched like, you know, a, a, a close-up um, uh, uh, photography of that, you know, if you could get sort of stop motion of that, you would see the crack starts on the far side, on the bottom of the board, uh, away from where your fist is hitting it. So, you know, that, that helps to explain why it is that people can sometimes, like, break something that's, like, in the middle of a stack or toward, you know, the bottom of a stack rather than the top board because the top board didn't bend that far. All the energy so far was mostly deflecting the one farther away. Right. Or for instance, like if you wanted to break the board in the middle of a stack, if you took that one board and killed dried it and put it in the middle of the stack, yes. it would be weaker than the other board. So it would be the one that broke even if the other ones didn't. Right. And this gets us into that area of, you know, again, when, when people really want to make things look amazing and, and why, you know, definitely in some cases you should definitely be skeptical of what you are seeing, of, you know, what else is going on. You know, if you take something like boards and you dry them out, and we did this at the, the demonstration there at the Amazing Meeting was, you know, I, I, I took a board and I, I showed one, I just stuck it in an oven for like, you know, like, um, couple of hundred degrees for an hour, which wasn't even a highly rigorous level of, of drying that thing out. And it was noticeably um, more brittle. I mean, I could just, you know, I, I just sort of broke it over my knee very easily, which was not something I could do with the other, the other proper ones. So, right, you know, if people, if, if people then start to basically, you know, cheat a little bit, there are all kinds of amazing tricks that it's possible yeah. for people to do. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know how much you know about the art of cheating when you're breaking stuff, but I've, you know, we've, <laughs> we've heard all kinds of stories like, you know, the Chinese, some would bake the bricks in such a way as to make them easy to break. And then they would also bake steel rods into some of them so they could embarrass their rivals by having an impossible to break brick. Um, I've heard yeah. of, you know, people breaking uh, those big blocks of ice, like changing the salt content in the water to make them more brittle. I, I don't even know what the science of that oh, would be. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, it's, I mean, think about think about what happens when you are, you know, if you if you have ice all over your front steps and you throw, you know, you throw salt out onto that. It has the effect of of it changes the melting temperature. It makes it so that it wants to melt at a at a lower temperature. So it basically makes that 
softer and easier. It makes the ice a little bit more, more brittle. I hadn't heard about that, but it does actually kind of explain something that you could do to, to, uh, to sabotage some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, now, all this is not to say that it's, it's still not a clear, you know, demonstration of what it's attempting to demonstrate when somebody's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. proper alignment, leverage, all those elements of physics that you would, you know, attempt to deliver on your opponent. You can at least yeah. check and see if everything goes right. Is the power there? You know? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, yes, absolutely. There are, you know. It's, there are people who do amazing breaks, and it really is a demonstration of them bringing. You know, they have to bring a lot of power and good technique to it to be able to to do the break that they have. But you know, right? This it's it. I guess it comes down to you just sort of you know be very careful of what you're what you're taking at face value in some of these kinds of of situations because it is quite easy for people to to monkey with. Um, materials in particular and uh, really be able to uh, you know okay. uh, affect something about whether or not it's on the level absolutely <laughs> i mean um you know it, it's funny you're talking about demonstration uh you know this is a, basically a demonstration thing and you see this in all martial arts you know there's a lot of the chinese martial arts that we do uh, that uh there's not as much breaking involved in that typically although you do see physical stunts like that or pulling nails out with your fingers that sorts of thing mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but even a lot of the forms we have there's you know there's content in some of those forms that is pretty much purely for yeah. demonstration it's not something yeah. that the stylist would ever use in an actual fight but it looks really good you yeah know? right right yeah that's right yeah, brings that's in right. more that's... money to you know, into the cap when you're demoing yeah <laughs> or sells more miracle pills on the streets or whatever you know i mean that doesn't go on so much anymore but back in the day you know you had to eat somehow and those were hard times <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well and, and you know for those of us who are not uh you know tearing the throats out of our enemies on a regular basis it's sometimes fun just have a form that actually allows you to pretend you're doing that so. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> And, you know, everybody wants the triple back death somersault kick anyway when they first start, you know, because we've all seen it in the movies and we want to be able to do it. And yeah. You can do it. That's it's just not advisable to try that on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. I, 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 you know, I, I met my wife uh, in, uh, in, in the course of, of our karate, and she's a much more serious high-level fighter than I am. She's, you know, competed in different sorts of international competitions and, and won them. Um, and so she's nice. she's very tough, and she's uh, she takes a very no nonsense approach to fighting. So when she sees different people sometimes throwing lots of you know jumping, flying kicks, her attitude is like, "You're going to come back down, and I will still be here waiting for you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God, it, it, you're taking me back when I lived in New York City many, many years ago. Back when it was still you know spray painted subways and and ruffians yeah. running the streets and. Um, I got jumped by this guy on the street one time. Me and a friend were walking late at night back towards his apartment, and, and these two guys come running around the corner, and I thought they were just headed somewhere. So I kind of stepped aside, and one of them ran up and punched me right in the face. Mm -hmm. But then he proceeded to throw a series of jumping and flashy head kicks at me, and I literally I was completely stunned by all this, but I just was slowly walking backwards, and not a single thing touched <laughs> me. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, he can just keep this up till he wears himself out you know <laughs> well that's you know, kind of part like, of your special powers too that, that's right <laughs> <laughs> but, but i think it's you know it goes to i mean uh, obviously a lot of people in in you, know, you, you can't you can't overstate how you know seriously dangerous obviously some people who are in a predatory frame of mind are going to be when they're going off and, and doing these kinds of things but 
for especially for some people, some people who are out there, you know, they are specifically looking to just to rob. They 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 want to make this as quick and easy as possible. They're you know if they're professional in that sense, they want a quick interaction in which they come in, intimidate you, you respond appropriately by giving them the wallet, and then you go your separate ways. And uh, and you know and listen, a lot of situations, especially if it's just an issue of of you know somebody wanting your wallet, that may indeed really be by far the the best safest thing to do. Yeah. But uh, but it's but but if you can. Th- throw people off of their script that way, that already uh, sometimes is a huge asset in being able to uh, you know, in being able to, to, to get out of a situation, being able to prevail in a situation like that um, and come out of it maybe without ever even having thrown, you know, thrown a punch, but you know, you're the one who you're, in, you're still in good shape. Yeah, and, and these guys were just punks you know, they were out rolling bombs and looking to beat people up and stuff, yeah. they weren't even they weren't even really criminals in the sense of like the professional sense of the word. <laughs> it was hilarious though. The guardian angels got involved. It was, it was quite a trip, but we won't, we won't bog down the interview with that story. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I definitely, I want to make sure we use some of our time to talk about your, your career in, in science writing and journalism and, uh, and your show you've got going on right now. Why don't you start off with that? Tell people, you know, uh, about the show on the weather channel. Well, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm been uh, I'm the host of a program called uh, Hacking the Planet that is on uh, the the Weather Channel. Um, we did uh, six episodes of this back in the spring. I'm waiting to hear whether we're going to be uh, doing any more coming up. But I think we are going to be doing some uh, other sort of associated specials with this. Um, Hacking the Planet. The the idea of, of the show was given what we understand about um, the science behind a lot of sort of giant catastrophic natural events like hurricanes and tornadoes and lightning and earthquakes and the, and the, the rest. Um, is, is there any realistic possibility that we could not just sort of mop up afterward, but do something to actually try to protect ourselves better against these? Could you, in fact, you know, theoretically do something like weaken a hurricane or steer it in a different direction? Could you, could you prevent tornadoes from happening or uh, direct lightning so that it would be landing in certain places rather than others? Uh, and uh, what's kind of fascinating, each episode we would take you know, one of these phenomena and we go into this. It's kind of fascinating to see just how much work there really has been that's gone into a lot of these, in some cases going back for a number of different decades. So like uh, the U.S. government's been involved in – or at least was involved in trying to do things about trying to uh, control hurricanes going back into the 50s, actually. Um, big incident, actually, in that it managed to uh, uh, royally tee off Fidel Castro because uh, when it became clear that we were involved in doing this, he was sure that we were steering hurricanes toward Cuba. On to Cuba. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. Um, um, spoiler alert, we can't do that. Right. <laughs> we certainly couldn't do that then. Um, although hurricanes, weirdly, are in some ways, they are a lot more tractable in theory to this kind of control than, say, something like tornadoes might be, where the, you know, they're smaller and more concentrated, but there's so much that's unpredictable about but exactly where they're form, where they'll form, and where they'll move, it's really hard to be able to uh, to stop a lot of them. So, but that's the show I've been doing. Uh, that and that's a lot of fun. We're looking forward to uh, trying to do some more uh, episodes of stuff for the Weather Channel uh, before too long. Um, and then otherwise, yes, as you said, I mean I've been a science writer going back to the uh, mid '80s. I was the editor in chief at Scientific American for uh, well 15 years. I was at the magazine altogether for 20 years. 
Um, these days, I work for McGraw-Hill Professional. I'm the editorial director of science for them for their uh, science encyclopedia-related business. Um, and I still do a lot of uh, you know uh, science writing online and uh, speaking engagements and so forth. So it's a it's a lot of fun. I really I love I love talking about science of almost any kind. Uh, and it's just it's you know it's a real privilege to get to be able to to do something that I enjoy so much. Yeah, and I, I can imagine, especially your your tenure at Scientific American, just the amount of interesting stuff that would cross your desk every day there. It must have really yeah. just kept your mind you know, burning at a, at a high rate of speed there. It, 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 it was, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, because, you know, the, the great thing is that like, if you're at a place like Scientific American, you realize you can call up basically any scientist anywhere in the world and, and they will take your call. They'll answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> they will answer the phone, which is like the coolest thing possible. Um, but yeah, it was great. And also the, just the people at Scientific American were, were great. You know, the, the, I, I will, I will long treasure certain kind of conversations that we would have because, you know, in the way that you know every place in your workplace you you have those kind of those those aimless conversations uh things that come up as you're just standing around the water cooler right. well at scientific american they could be things like discussions about well when the robots eventually take over <laughs> what will they do with us yeah. and it's not and, if it's when <laughs> yeah that's right and and we had, <laughs> we had we had a fun one going on about uh like you know hypothetically if you know if the if aliens came down grabbed up a thousand people, a thousand engineers and scientists, people representing sort of like all the different technical disciplines that there were, grabbed these people, uh, men and women, zipped them off to a different planet and just dropped them naked there on this sort of like, you know, a completely Earth-like world, say, you know, 20 light years away. How long would it take for those people to be able to get to a point where they could build something like a radio capable of of communicating back to the earth and saying here we are come get us. <laughs> because because they have to they have nothing to work with. They have to, you know, before you can start to build a radio, you start to you have to start to have the the kind of of industry that makes it possible to have you know, metals and mining and agriculture and yeah, having you know, having the technical know-how is one thing, but having you know, getting the raw materials out and processing them is a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. So as oh, you can yeah. imagine, this was, this was a highly productive conversation. I think we really oh, pretty sure. much the answer down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the unfortunate thing about it is, it would be uh, they get the radio working finally and send out the broadcast. Could you please come pick up our great 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 grandchildren and take them back? <laughs> If you start now you, and you, you you approach the speed of light, and then, you know. <laughs> or could you at least find those miserable alien SOBs again and ask them to come back and, take, and bring us home? Or just shoot them out of the sky if that's more convenient. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd wrap it back around to martial arts. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> well, um, th- this has been really entertaining. But before we go, we usually, we usually try to pester our guests to see if they have a story to leave us with that falls into maybe one of two categories. Uh, okay. Uh, the first category we call swapping paint, which is uh, it's not necessarily fighting, but just some instance where the skill specifically developed from your martial arts has, has helped you out in the real world, where the, mm-hmm. where the rubber meets the road. Okay. Um, the other the other class of story we love to hear are, are feet of clay stories. So you know you're you're the big bad 
fourth degree black belt, but oops, this happened one time and it was right. <laughs> it was really humanizing <laughs> and embarrassing. So take your pick. <laughs> um, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go for, the, I think it's sort of, it's sort of more of the, of the first and it goes way back just as a, a um, yeah. So, okay. So this is a, this is a, a, a story, you know, we, we talked about like, um, the, uh, um, Martial arts are just sometimes just the value when you're in a situation of of somebody's like trying to mug you, just being able to knock them off script. Yes. Um, the thing that was occurring to me about this. Okay, so I I moved to New York back in the the eighties, and it was still a uh, a time of you know it was it was still it was a very rough time. You know what it was like. Back yeah, then, I was there in ninety one or so. So it, okay, it, yeah. so right, so still, so basically, right. Uh, Around sort of around that very time, so I, I, there was a point when I was working um, on Forty Second Street, um, which meant that every day I was walking right through the, the you know sort of the worst of a lot of this this area, um, and you know walking right between Seventh and Eighth Avenues. It was just just leaving the Port Authority near where I was working and, mm. and walking along that avenue. It was just. It was just an awful, awful spot. As awful a spot that would have that much traffic, foot traffic every day. One day, it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm leaving work, and I'm walking over toward the subway because I'm, I'm, I'm going someplace a little early. So it's the beginning of the, uh, the, the rush hour. And as I'm walking along, a uh, you know, sort of disreputable guy sort of walks up alongside me. He says, he says brother, brother, let me show you something. And he, he sidles up before me. Before I really know quite what's happening, he's managed now to put one arm around my neck, and he's now showing me that in his other hand, he's got a razor blade, which he transfers <laughs> nice. into the other hand as we're walking down 42nd Street. And he's just, he is, he is saying, it's like, all he wants the money. I'm a crack addict. I'm a crack addict. All I want is the money. My partner behind me has got a gun. I just, all he wants the money. And I can actually tell, that I can hear from, because I sort of walk at a fairly fast clip. Anyway, I can tell that there actually is the sound of somebody who is walking along, sort of pacing me, um, you know, maybe probably like five or six feet behind me at this point. Now, the thing is, I know that in my, my wallet is in my back pocket, and I know that I have exactly one dollar in that. And so... <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure is not what he's looking for. No. But also, I am also just fundamentally outraged that it is 4.30 in the damn afternoon, and I should not be getting mugged on 42nd Street. Yep. So, so but he is, on the other hand, holding a razor blade up against my neck, saying he's going to cut my juggler vein. Um, and, You'll never and, juggle again. Yeah. And, and, but so this is going on. So I'm, I'm sort of, I, I don't really believe... For some reason, I didn't have like f- real belief that he was going to be able to cut me with this razor blade fast enough to be able to do me the world of damage that he clearly thought he was going to. And I somehow just had this kind of feeling that this whole thing was geared toward the idea of basically just swooping in and having that guy coming up behind me grab my wallet anyway. So I meanwhile, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not stopping to give him the wallet. I'm also, <laughs> I'm also not doing any protest. I'm just continuing to walk. And he's continuing to protest about like, hurry up, man, just give me the wallet. And I'm just walking along and well he starts saying stop walking me into people man <laughs> somewhere I vaguely have this sense that if I just keep walking there's going to be a cop somewhere along the yeah, strip of eventually. 42nd Street <laughs> and eventually I think at some point the I can hear that the, the, the sound of the guy coming up behind me that I, I 
sort of can tell he's getting closer, and I happen to sort of just glance over, and I don't even really see the guy, but I sort of look over in that direction, and I think at that point, they now just feel like everything has gone so badly off script, they don't know what the hell is happening anymore. And so I can hear that guy suddenly drops away fast, and this guy suddenly is just says, thanks, man, I was just trying to get away from that dealer. And then he, <laughs> and then he runs off in the other direction, and I continue on my way to the subway without ever actually even breaking stride about this whole stupid, <laughs> stupid experience. Well, later on... Go ahead. Later on, a friend just later on, a friend just says, "Like your will not to get mugged was clearly much stronger than their will to mug you." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you know they finally realized if you didn't find a cop at some point, there would be an open manhole cover or something you could just walk no. him right into. <laughs> That's funny. Oh Lord. <laughs> So there it is. <laughs> well, uh, that that fit perfectly. Thank you very much for that. My pleasure. Uh, <laughs> Thanks well, for asking. No problem. That's what we do over here. Uh, well, John, go ahead before we uh, well, we wrap this thing up. Tell everybody where to look for your work, where you blog, uh, what projects you have coming up, and any internet digits you want to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, people can always, you know, keep track of what I'm doing. I obviously at my at my own uh, just my home base online is. Uh, johnrenny.net um, but uh, also the, I, uh, I blog uh, regularly over at um, uh, the, the PLOS blogs public library of science uh, people go to uh, blogs.plos.org uh, and look for my, uh, my blog called The Gleaming Retort I'm uh, usually on there you can follow me on Twitter at tvjrenny um, and uh, eh, that's a lot of places. Otherwise, I'm just, you know, my, my work shows up uh, various places. And, of course, watch for uh, Hacking the Planet and the, the Truth About specials that we do on the Weather Channel. Great. Awesome. Well, it's it's been a lot of fun talking to you once again. I, I had a great time uh, getting to hang out and chat with you at TAM. That was a, that was a blast. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, so we can share this with all the listeners. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love learning a little bit more about breaking. I, I had no clue so much was involved. That's cool. Oh, well, thank you. Listen, I, I completely had a blast myself. And it's a real, real pleasure getting to know you guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Our pleasure. Coming to you live from the crowd under the mats at your dojo, it's Craig S. Kiesling with the news, news, news. Hi, Hi. I'm Craig with the news. <laughs> Let us have it, Craig. Nice <laughs> job. All right. <laughs> Richard Malone, native of Alabama, who uh, taught some kung fu and MMA throughout the years, uh, now a native or living in Cromer, England, recently knocked a purse snatcher off his bicycle and wrestled him to the ground with the aid of an onlooker till police came. Kudos to you using your martial arts uh, 
in a very movieistic kind of way. Okay. I mean, yeah. Does it say how he knocked him off the bicycle? Was it a flying sidekick or something? No. Well, there was he he tackled Stick him. Sticking the spokes. <laughs> no. The dude uh, the dude snatched a, snatched a purse literally on a you know ride and grab type thing yeah. on his little bike and uh, had had the decency to go ahead and stop at the light at the crosswalk. <laughs> yeah and Whoops. Uh, so our, i'll break this law but not this one exactly <laughs> so richard uh took that opportunity and uh tackled him down and there you go. Uh, martial artist looking out for the rest of you there you go there you go moving along rowdy ronda rousey for you guys who are unfamiliar with this name 26 year old mma fighter the first female fighter to be signed by the ufc and is also, by the way, in talks uh, for a supporting role in Fast and Furious Part 7. Jesus, when will it ever stop? Yeah, and I think they've already inked her in for, uh, for Expendables, Expendables 3. Expendables 3. Yes, indeed. That's a callback. But, you know, it's out of the ring recently where she's attracted a lot of attention. She was on the cover of ESPN, the magazine, Body Issue, this year. And she's also this month's Maxim cover girl. Over the years, Rousey has shown she's not only, you know, great in the ring, but out of the ring. And she's not shy about speaking her mind. In a recent interview on Jim Rome, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Rome on Showtime. She talked about how she likes to have, and I quote, as much sex as possible before a fight. But she also later says, I jinxed myself when I said that. I totally did. Ever since I said that, I haven't been able to have sex right before a fight. <laughs> did he, you have did to he, do it during the fight then. That's right. <laughs> that, yeah. that, would make, that would bring the ratings up. Oh, gosh. We, we were, you know, oil, <sighs> well, yeah. mud. You know, we're just, yeah. we're just getting... A little jello in the, yeah. in the octagon. No, on a, on a serious... Gender mandering, are we? Uh, uh, like so, how I did that? Yeah. I'm not sure what you did, but I love how you did that. On a serious note, you know, when we were speaking with uh, Jennifer Ouellette, mm -hmm. she was talking about, you know, bulking up to do her system. And right. a lot of people are thinking, well, that's not feminine. That's not, you know, the look you want. I think people are starting to catch on. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, Ronda yeah. Rousey is not a slip of a woman. No, but, she isn't. But know. she also is very... Yeah. She's a looker. <laughs> yeah, no, she's good looking. And, you know, I think that sort of physique is gaining a popularity that, you know, or regaining one that it should have always had. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's there's something different from, you know, trying to uh, be Mr. Olympia, you know, if you're female. I can see that taking a little bit of femininity well, away. Well, the, the men take it to grotesque extremes, exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. That's my point. And, but when girls, you know, quote unquote, bulk up, though, a lot of times it just, you know, it's like, a girl in foo, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right, moving along. Residents of Austin, Texas, unite. But also, please don't wear ghetto apparel to the Kung Fu Saloon. That's right. The Kung Fu Saloon management is investigating a claim that an employee of the company made an inappropriate comment to a customer trying to gain entrance to the bar wearing unacceptable attire. Management will determine whether the comment was racially motivated, and if so, appropriate disciplinary action will be taken. Kung Fu Saloon is home to one of the most diverse crowds in the Austin bar scene, a reputation that they value and cultivate. It's not the policy of Kung Fu Saloon to deny any customer entry based on race 
or ethnicity. Our aim, as always, they say, is to continue to provide a fun, safe, and welcoming atmosphere to anyone in keeping with Kung Fu Saloon policies. What happened here, folks? Uh, about three guys were going to the Kung Fu Saloon. They were all wearing basketball shorts, and uh, one of the guys happened to be a black guy, and he was the one that was turned away at the door. Oh, and the other two in the same attire got to come in? Exactly. And so they, That's a problem. Later, they, they, they brought it up, and they're like, you know, what's up? The old boy was able to get in here. What's going on? And the bartender or door guy, whoever it was that denied him, basically said, uh, we don't want the place filling up with ghetto wear. Um, so they took that to be ghetto plus I'm black to mean an insult racially. So they're looking into that, and I get it. Yep. Although, uh, you know, if you live in that area, don't be too quick to blame the actual establishment. It could be just the door guy mm-hmm. who has an issue. So uh, we'll see what develops Needless on that to front. say, this saloon needs to work on the Kung Fu a little more yeah, better. You need to have more respect. That's right. You may have caught him on MTV's Bully Beatdown or heard me tell you about the vandalism charges being dropped after he was caught naked on the upstairs couch of a church. In a church, yeah. <laughs> after a night of fun with fire extinguishers and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Now, former MMA star Jason Mayhem Miller was recently released from jail on a domestic violence charge due to an argument over a text message. Why didn't I get your mass text? I'm in your contacts. <laughs> I'm in your contacts. I'm in your contacts. <laughs> Nicholas Adam Ivistal, owner of Three Feathers Martial Arts and Black Dragon Karate in Bullhead City, Arizona, accepted the plea deal, which would give him 10 years in prison for child molestation charges and a lifetime on probation and no additional jail time for the sexual abuse charge after being arrested January 15th earlier this year for inappropriately touching an eight-year-old student, all of which was caught on video surveillance in his own gym that he owns. Genius, brother, genius. Uh, I'm glad when the evil people are also stupid. Me too. Me too. It's like that guy in Rocky and Bill Bullwinkle. I'm like, dude, savoir faire is everywhere, except your little hot skinny chick, you know, she's always the one. Anyway, the instructors of Family Martial Arts Taekwondo and Hopkido in Chelsea, Michigan, as well as the students and their families, recently held its fourth annual park cleanup picnic to pick up litter and trash strewn throughout the grounds at Pierce Park. They, what they do is every year, once a year, go to a different park in the city and do a little Taekwondo, Hapkido, have some picnic, and get out and just literally comb the area and pick it up and clean it up and all that good stuff. Kudos to you guys. I'm always doing that on my own at my own class in our own park. It's yep. disgusting. Yep. Yay. Yay. Good on you. Keep Yay. it up. Yay. Yay. Shaolin Soccer. We all love this movie. If you haven't heard of it or if you don't love it, watch it again. You will. It's a Stephen Chow movie. It's happening. It's happening now, my friends. That's right. Following up on our Shaolin Temple series recently, guess what now they're doing? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Shaolin Temple. Soccer team? <laughs> oh, better. <laughs> the Shaolin Temple, yes. Uh, TM or C in a circle, however you want to call it, has partnered up with Central China Real Estate Limited to build a school that combines Chinese martial arts and soccer. Government. Investments of 2 billion yuan, which equals around about 326 million U.S. dollars, 
to build an international soccer academy in the province. The completed academy will include a football school, football being the European football soccer, a stadium, and two gymnasiums. Yes, indeed. Stephen Chow, eat your heart out. Yeah, they should have him be the poster boy for it. I'm telling you. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. This Yongshin, sure Yongshin master, you, you, come on, brother. It's getting ridiculous. In Delray Beach, Florida, recently, Paul Warren Romelli was driving his red Hummer up the wrong way of a road and then veered off the road over a bush and all that good stuff before he stopped. Although we op- opened up the car door, he wouldn't really get out. So the cops who were following him because he was going up the wrong way of the road right. brought him to the ground. <laughs> Firefighters arrived, of course, as they tend to do, and tried to help him out, you know, with his little scratches and bruises and all that good stuff, where he promptly knocked him in the face, gave him a good, you know, hook right in the face as they were trying to, you know, give him first aid. And he also shouted out, I'm a martial arts master. I can kill you in 10, no, two seconds, not 10. Good gosh, not this guy. Amateur can do it in 10 seconds. Exactly. Anyway, he obviously faces charges of battery, resisting an officer, and reckless driving. Delray Beach, thank you for providing another wonderful kung fu master to our uh, news. list of shame. Yeah, no <laughs> joke. And most importantly, Samuel Hong will not be teaching his grandson TJ kung fu in Singapore. And boom goes the dynamite. Now wait, let's. Uh, what, what, you got anything else on that <laughs> Samuel Hong story? Yeah. Creek. The show note. You see more information. Oh, I see what he's trying to do here. All right. Well, I'm curious, folks. I'll be out there clickety-clicking on that. I don't see. I wish Samu Hung would come over here and teach me some kung fu. He might. He might. You might want to just send him a little instant message. Like get on AOL and just hit Samu keyword, chat him up. Samu keyword? Is that what he? Is that his Twitter handle? It ought to be if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you think you know the kung fu, the Twitter? I got the Samuel keyword. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter, I kind of discovered how to use it on my phone now. So. I've recently noticed this. I'm seeing Twitter being all a Twitter with all these <laughs> notifications I'm getting. I've tweeted and Twittered a bit. Um, yeah, you have. So, you know, we're trying to stay on this social media thing. Um, what else have we got here? I, I, I want to take a step back and just say uh, uh, how cool it was to talk to John again. It sure was. And speaking, uh, you know, uh, speaking about John, that was great, great interview. The guy talks faster than wind, man. And I'm he's a professional talker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was impressed. No, it was cool. Uh, And uh, super, super nice guy. Um, What have we got coming up, Craig? Oh, a lot of different stuff. But let me let me go back real quick. You mentioned about the Twitter thing. And that's awesome. Kudos to you for getting on to that it was just me doing the twitter first and now there's two of us banging and i'm much out. more interesting so it's going to be fun over there <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so anyway one of the cool things um you know we got to talk over this email i sent you about stats recently we've been getting uh because our google analytics for the website's been giving us all kinds of information one thing i noticed uh too is that our google plus page which neither of us have really i've never jumped on a bunch (laughs) (laughs) never even seen it (laughs) we exist there and uh we got some stuff that's being posted there and stuff but i wanted to thank you guys out there jennifer roulette being one um who have kind of been posting some information about us posting some links to our different uh episodes and whatnot and conversations are starting to happen granted it's only been six in the past year but 
it's starting to happen. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to get a little bit more active with this whole social media thing. I think we've been focused on the Facebook. We're starting to get on the Twitter. We see there's some activity on the Plus. We're happening. It's yeah. just taking us a minute. We're old it, folks. It really is a learning curve for us, some of this stuff. You know, I, I got a Google Plus account when it was first out, and I'm like, oh, it's just Facebook, but I've already got Facebook. So, <laughs> right. But actually, there's a lot of stuff going on over there I'm thinking about using. You know, we, we oh, yeah. used to occasionally do a tabletop RPG. Uh, hangouts. Yeah. From time to time, and everybody's so busy and has kids now. It's been virtually impossible the last year or two to do that. But the Hangouts, man. Right. I don't know. I want to back and that up a little bit. Wait, what did you say you were doing on there again? Um, uh, discussing chemistry. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> you just let out your nerd slip, didn't you? Yeah, I let my nerd peek out All right. below the belt. Um, and one of the things I wanted to drag in front of the audience, thanks. I may have to edit that bit out, but we finally got back around <laughs> to it. <clears throat> let us know what you think about the idea of... Uh, Potentially, while we're recording, doing some sort of live chat or maybe even video chat. Uh, I know, especially when we have discussion topics, um, it you know it can be an issue. Some of the things we're talking about, if it involves like you know the hands like this or this, you know. And if we were doing some sort of live uh, chat, yes. if the listeners wanted to catch the show live, then they could actually we could show you, you know, yeah, exactly. what we're talking about. And maybe even when we have guests on, we could do it through a Google Hangout or something like that, as opposed to Skype, where it's a little bit easier to, I think, I guess, still got to look into all this. Yeah. A little easier to manage having, you know, uh, a video component to the interview. So Definitely. Definitely. And I, I think the video will be a little bit difficult, you know, in the prep work and stuff, and we might be able to do that, you know, but uh, a couple times throughout the year. Yeah. But definitely. Yeah. These are just ideas, folks, but, uh, you know. A lot of it boils down to what's really going to be important content to the to the listeners. Uh, you. Yeah. So uh, the more input we get from you as we're trying to sort this all out, the better decisions we'll make. Because if you just leave us to our own devices, well, you see what you get. <laughs> 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 yeah. We, we had to go out to the Champagne Lounge and pour one out for episode 42. Yeah, we did. The oh. alternate 42. The um, alternate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 42 that will never be. Walternate. I, yeah. Yeah. Alternate. That yeah, that was a reference to a show. I can't think of the name. Breaking Bad. No, but I do like that mm-hmm. show as well. That show's freaking awesome. It is. Watch it, would you? Yeah. Well, now we're just kind of jabbering at you, folks. Yeah, we so are. We, we need probably want to, to bring this, this back around to the end. Uh, check us out as always on uh, Facebook, uh, HiyaPodcast dot com, Mailbag at Hiya Podcast, David Hiya Podcast, Craig, Craig at Hiya Podcast, podcast. You News can at Hiya Podcast, News at Hiya Podcast. Hiya Podcast with a little hashtag makes you, you know, make us a meme. Yep. You can find us on the Twitter. You can find us on the Plus. Mm-hmm. Yep. All of them places. And uh, I'll have to go check out that Google Plus page this week. I think you will. <laughs> I think I will. Yes. And, uh, you know, all that being said, uh, I will say this. I'm working on some stuff. There's still a couple of people that I met at uh, the amazing meeting that I want to get on the show, but mm-hmm. I don't want to beat everybody to death with it either. So we'll probably give that a break for a few weeks. And, uh, and uh, I'm working on some very interesting uh, new guests. Nice. Uh, so I'm not going to let anything out of the bag right now. But in the next week or two, we'll uh, we'll have some more good uh, guestical content coming at right. you. I got to got to say that was a great tie-in. Uh, you know, we had the physics of breaking, and we talked about Breaking Bad. And you just mentioned Tam is going to have a break. You got to cut that out. Yeah, that's yeah. how your paranoid little mind works, Craig. Uh-huh. <laughs> Get, all right, all right. How about a singlet? Leopard print singlet. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's hard to tie it back around to bandanas and bananas, but we'll figure mm. something out. <laughs> it rhymes just nice, though. You did see the monkey happen again, though. The uh-huh. monkey came back in the in the middle of the interview. Yeah, that was good. It did. It did. All right, folks. Well, that's another episode of High Off for you. Let me remind you, if you're smart, you'll stick around to see what juicy tidbits come at the very end of the show, including another episode of Martial Mind from Jeff Westfall. Hi. Um, that was actually Craig Westfall. Yeah. <laughs> Craig's really been working that impersonation. So. I have. You know what? I'm going to have Jeff on the show one of these days so he can just come right back at you. I Bill. know. I know. That's good. It'd we'll do good that soon. Time. Yeah. Maybe it would help people get their heads around this if we get them on to talk about it a little bit. And explain there you what's go. Going on. Bada bing. Frankly, I don't know if people are listening to it or not. Nobody's mentioned it yet. So. Uh, oh, well. So, you know. Yeah, we yeah. love listener content, and that's also something like when I get a new computer, um, we may have a voicemail line, we may have other stuff that we can interact with during the show. So um, we'll see. Lots of good stuff coming mm-hmm. your way. But right now, we're just testing your patience. So on that note, see ya. This is Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. Why The Martial Brain? Does the title of my series of commentaries refer to me? Am I calling myself a brain? Do I think I'm smarter than most of you? Hardly. I've known some incredibly smart people in my time, and I don't belong in their league. What I am is experienced in a number of martial arts styles and in teaching martial arts. I'm also fascinated by the human brain and brain science. The title, The Martial Brain, refers to what I perceive as the intersection between the martial arts and the ways our amazing but imperfect brains can deceive us. With that bit of business out of the way, let's move on to today's subject. Does practice make perfect? This cliché is sometimes countered with, practice makes permanent, and perfect practice makes perfect. Well, no amount of practice can result in perfection. As for permanence, any technical habit developed from previous practice, no matter how ingrained, can be altered or eliminated with further practice. Nope, I don't think practice seems to make permanent. As for the statement, perfect practice makes perfect, while the platonic ideal of perfection is admirable, it is unattainable. I agree with the overall sentiment, however. Aphorisms aside, let's talk about practice. Part of what can make your skills approach perfection from practice is mindfulness. One of my pet peeves when teaching is mindless repetition. When practicing a technique, you should pay careful attention to how each rep feels and how it looks. Did it feel better or worse compared to your other repetitions? Make adjustments in your practice based on what you observe. Don't blow through the reps like you're knocking out 50 push-ups. 
Sometimes a student will express to me a reluctance to practice at home because he or she is worried that practicing without the supervision of the instructor could allow sloppiness and bad habits to creep in. While I applaud such a student's desire for excellence of technique, this way of thinking has a severe flaw. Unless your instructor is available 24 hours a day to observe your practice, you will be limited in how much practice you can fit into any given time. To me, as an instructor, the value of a student practicing on their own is to develop a baseline of experience. This baseline of experience allows the student to ask more educated questions of the instructor. A student who is practicing quite a bit on his or her own is going to experience setbacks, momentary surges in technique that make them feel better than they did feel. All sorts of variations will occur. This experience allows the student to ask questions like, why do I keep losing my balance to the right when I try to throw a sidekick? Much sooner than the student who only practices in my presence would. This allows me to offer advice to fix the problem and send the student back to his practice armed with better information. This type of communication and relationship is only possible if the student is conducting his or her practice in a mindful way. Another flaw in the way some people think about practice surfaces when they say things to me like, you've been doing this so long, you probably don't need to practice anymore. To me, this illustrates a mindset that looks upon practice as something like climbing a mountain. Once you reach the summit, you're done climbing the mountain. To me, a better analogy for practice, especially for the experienced athlete or martial artist, is to mowing the lawn or trimming your fingernails. I keep waiting to become so highly skilled at mowing the lawn that I never have to do it anymore, but I haven't gotten there yet. In my experience, the neural pathways developed through practice definitely degrade without maintenance, much like a worn path through the woods becomes overgrown with vegetation when people stop using it. As the old expression goes, rust never sleeps. I do, however, find that when I reach a reasonable amount of efficiency with any given technique, it does take less practice for maintenance of this level than it did to develop this level. This happily frees up more time to practice new skills. So, in summation, mindful practice combined with regularly introduced correct adjustment leads to better technique. Discontinuation of this practice leads to degradation of the technique. Anyway, that's how I see it. Let me know what you think at my website, rpmartialarts.com. This has been Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. We embarked on our journey to the stars with a question first framed in the childhood of our species and in each generation asked a new, undiminished wonder, what are the stars?
one, two, three, Dave. Do you really need that at this point? LA. It's nice. You know how we do this shit. It's nice. It's always nice. It's like, it's, it's like a wraparound. I yeah. really don't need it, but it's nice. No, okay. <laughs> I may leave that in. <laughs>